What a fitting song. What a fitting hymn for 1 Peter. Go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Back in Peter again. I got a text from somebody um, a couple weeks ago. Thanks, Josh. Saying, all this, all this teaching on suffering under unjust rulers and unjust masters and our submission and all these kinds of things. Man, you must be having a lot of you know, people sort of talking amongst themselves about starting militias in the church or something. I was like, well, no. Just so happens to be where we're at in the text. And what it does show, though, is how pervasive this whole subject of meekness, non-retaliation, loving enemies, living in an unjust world where there is harsh treatment, especially towards Christians, how pervasive that teaching is in First Peter. That's what it kind of reveals, because it is pervasive. I would argue that the, one of the main points, if not the main point, in First Peter is living like Jesus while suffering in an unjust world. I think if you were going to boil it down, I think that's fundamentally what his point is. How do we live in a world that hated Christ and hates us? How do we do that? How do we do it faithfully? How do we do it in a way that's going to please the Lord? How are we going to do it in a way that, that adorns the gospel well? That's what Peter's all about. And so... The teaching that we're in this morning and the teaching we've been in a few, a lot fast, the uh, past few weeks um, in a more concentrated fashion really tackles this question head on. And um, so that's where we'll be this morning again in this section of 211 through 25. So I'll read it. And I think it is helpful again just to read the whole context. And then we'll dive into the text together. Verse 11, chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul, keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, or household slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect, or in all fear, probably a better translation. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. It's a bad translation. Should be perverse or wicked. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth? And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, 
so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Let's ask the Lord to be with us again. Father, we come to you, I just thinking of Psalm 119, how many times the psalmist prays for understanding. Um, and Lord, that's because we need it from you, and that's because you give it. And that's a wonderful thing. And so Lord, we pray for understanding this morning. And we pray that you would rivet our hearts with this wonderful truth laid down for us. And Lord, we pray that we would see it as wisdom, that we would see it as um, just something that we can um, really um, walk in, something that we can apply. And uh, Lord, just help me to, um, to feed your sheep effectively. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I think we pretty much finished the section here with slaves and masters. Um, but you'll remember briefly here in verse 18 through 20, right after Peter has discussed or in exhorting them to be submissive to the human authorities that be and whatever government structure you find yourself under, being submissive to that, he then moves into servants and masters. Um, and I'm not going to go very deep here, but just suffice it to say that um, slavery was a big deal in the Roman Empire. It made up a significant portion of the population, so much so that Peter could isolate this group and speak to this group that are here spread throughout Asia. But this whole idea of slavery was pervasive. It's been pervasive in most every culture under the sun since history began almost. And so, uh, so it makes sense that Peter would address it. And Peter's exhortation and instruction to these household slaves that are Christians is to be submissive to these masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and gentle, but, those who, but to those who are unreasonable. That their whole posture toward their masters, even the ones that, the better translation, like I said, is probably wicked. Some translations have harsh. Um, but their posture, their, their responses to them is to be one of subjection, submission. That's, that's their role. That's how they are to respond to unreasonable masters. And why? Verse 19, because this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. This finds favor with God. God is pleased with that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not very intuitive to the natural man to sort of be treated like a doormat. <laughs> um, but in Christianity, it is. I know people don't like that when I use the term doormat because they want to quickly say that Christians aren't doormats and all that kind of stuff. And there's a sense in which that's true, but there's another sense in which we really are doormats. I mean, you know, these slaves really were. Um, There's not a whole heck of a lot they could do. And so what do you offer to someone who can't get out of their predicament? Uh, You begin to criticize the institution of slavery. You begin to criticize slave masters, those kinds of things. Well, how does that help them? It doesn't help them. Um, But that's not fundamentally why he says be submissive. Uh, I'm sure there's a utilitarian use in the instruction. But the fundamental reason he says it is because this finds favor. This finds favor with God. God is pleased with this. This is very much like his son. And this is where Peter is going to go. But this finds favor with God. And, and, and we remember the whole, separ- the whole episode with Stephen. There before all of these, um, all these religious leaders who were spewing venom and, and hatred. And he's there testifying of God through redemptive history and and so on and so forth. 
And he's there being persecuted, and they're about to stone him, and they see his face lit up like an angel. The Lord Jesus himself sits or stands from his throne in, in approval and approbation for Stephen. Um, what do we have there? Well, we have what Peter is saying, favor. This finds favor with God. When you suffer unjustly for the sake of Christ, this finds favor with God. Jesus Christ will stand up and say, that's, that's how you do it. And that's what Peter is getting at. Peter wants these people to realize that, like the old hymn says, behind a frowning providence, faith sees a smiling face, right? God smiles on his people who suffer. These slaves are to understand that that even though they may receive blows at the hand of these unjust masters, um, that while they suffer and endure it patiently, without retaliation, um, God is pleased. God this finds favorites. It says, and he says it again in verse 20. What credit is there if when you sin you're harshly treated, you endure with patience? What credit is that? Right? There's nothing honorable about, honorable about being patient when, when, you're, when you're being treated harshly for some sin or offense or crime that you committed. But if when you do what is right and suffer, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Favor with God. God is pleased with this. Is that song, Be Still My Soul, is just so perfect because it reminds us that, that, I don't know, this world is not our home. It reminds us that, that God knows every single step we take, those steps taken in peacetime and those steps taken in times of pain. And, um, and when we patiently endure times of suffering, when we're being treated harshly, um, this finds favor with him. I think this is so important, and it touches so many things, not just slaves and masters. It touches really so many things. You're doing what's right for the cause of truth and the gospel, and you suffer for it, you're ridiculed for it, you're ostracized for it, whatever it may be. You must understand that patiently enduring brings the smile of God. Some of you are in situations where you're having to hold the line in certain things, Um, certainly with love, but with grace and patience and those kinds of things. You're having to to take these stands, and and it feels like um, anything but favor upon you, right? It feels like sort of all of your circumstances are bad and negative, Um, but the reality is that's not true. Um, That's not true. Storms may come, but we always know that the sunshine is, is beyond that storm. We always know that there's lightning and thunder and these kinds of things. We always know that there's a clear blue sky above it. And for Christians, we have access to that vision. Uh, the world doesn't. But we do. And that's what Peter wants us to know. And he actually, um, he actually continues um, in his address to masters and slaves. Um, it's hard to see that because I know in my Bible, they put a little title, you know, a little uh, heading here, Christ is our example. And it sort of gives you the, thing, the, the thought that he's moving on to a different topic or a different, addressing a different person. Or, or audience there, um, and I'm sure it, it, the application will extend out, and it will. But he still has, I think, probably slaves in mind. And so, what does he say here? He says, "For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in His steps." So I think he's still addressing this, still, still holding out this helpful um, anchor-like. Food for these servants um, that need this bolstering while they are enslaved to these masters. And Peter is going to explain further, with further reason, 
with further grounding why they, why they are suffering and why they should suffer well. He's going to hold out the ground for that. And the term here is used in the original is, is for, it is there in the original, the NIV deletes it, I'm not sure why, but they delete it. But in verse 21, it does begin with for. It does connect back to Peter's instruction to these servants to, to live with their masters with all respect and submission, even to those who are harsh. For, you've been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered, you're going to suffer. So the fundamental reason why you can submit to your masters is because you were called to a life of suffering. When you became a Christian, that's what you signed up for. You know, we talk about fine print in contracts, you know. Sometimes people don't read the fine print and it gets them in trouble. (laughs) Um, Suffering as a Christian is not fine print. It's right up front at the beginning. Matter of fact, when Jesus was appealing to the masses, what did he say? Anybody want to come after me? Got to take up your what? Your yacht? No, as Gwen would say. No, not your yacht, right? Not your nice cottage in western North Carolina. You must take up your cross. You must take up an instrument of execution. That's, that's the way you follow me. You, you, you must be willing to, 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 to die every day. Certainly to your self-interest, if it conflicts with the Lord. Um, but also being ready at any time to give your neck uh, for the gospel. Suffering is right up front. Um, it's right up front. For you have been called for this purpose. So New Covenant Christian Fellowship, um, all the believers in this room, this is for you. This is for you to understand that you have been called to a life of suffering. And that is because we follow the Lord Jesus. So, Peter says here that you've been called for this purpose. The whole idea of calling here is meaning that it's, it's God's personal summons to, to a human being bound in darkness to come out of their sin and to forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. You are called you were called out of darkness, but for a purpose. And this purpose, Peter says, is so that we can suffer. That's what he says here. I mean, he could have said a lot of other things that were true, right? I mean, we were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Well, that's wonderful. He could have said that. He could have said you were called to inherit a new heavens and new earth. And that would be true. We were called to walk in joy, newness of life. And all that's true. But Peter looks at these believers... And knows that much, if not most, of their lives are going to be marked with hardship and pain because they are Christians in an evil world. And he puts this solid foundation under their feet. Hey guys, I tell you to be submissive to wicked masters because you were called to suffer. There is purpose in every mistreatment, in every unreasonable command, in every beating. You may be prone to think after you become a Christian, that that now that kindness is your operative principle, that that's how you will be treated. And and that will happen. There is still a a common grace that we all share, that that you can live respectable lives and and you can can have respect for men if you live a, a respectable life. But oftentimes, once they know you're a Christian and you do it for Christ's sake, well, that respect starts to change. See, people don't care if you're just nice. Oh, he's such a nice guy. But when they know that you're nice because you love Jesus Christ, that sort of changes things a little bit. Because then you become a threat. 
The reality is following Jesus in kindness, truth, and love will be met by hatred. And Jesus forewarned his disciples of this lot of suffering. So I want to read a section here from Jesus in John 15. Again, I want to say that this is not fine print. This is bold print. This is, you know, item number one on the docket, so to speak. Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. See, there's been a, a realm transfer, a realm transfer out of the world, out of that system of unbelief, out of that system of self-absorption, now to serve the Lord Jesus and be selfless. And, and live for the truth. And when this shift happens into his kingdom versus the kingdom of darkness, well, now you're going to get a certain animosity from the world. Jesus gives that rationale here. Verse 20, remember the word I said to you. So Jesus has already been teaching on this already. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. You're my slaves, Jesus is saying. I'm your master. You're not greater than me. You don't get out of this. Right? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's a wonderful thing. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Why do people persecute Christians? Why is there hatred? Well, it's because... People aren't reconciled to God. It's because people don't know God. It's, it's not first and foremost because you're not likable. It's not really about you. It's because they don't know the God who made them. See, this is so important, isn't it? Jesus tells his disciples, listen, they're going to hate you. But it's because they're blind. They're going to hate you. But it's because they've never really seen me. And they don't know me. And they don't love me. He wants you to understand there's a sense in which you just, you just cannot go personal on this. Now Jesus says, listen, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word. That is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus says the Spirit's going to come, and you're going to begin to speak. You're going to begin to testify, just like Jesus testified. You're going to begin to speak. And this speaking is going to bring hatred. And Jesus again tells them, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering a service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus wants them to know as he leaves, he wants to have precious um, solid foundation under their feet when they walk into persecution, when they walk into times of suffering. 
He wants them to know and to remember his words. I told you this is going to happen. So this will keep you from stumbling. What are we talking about stumbling? We're talking about being offended at where this whole Christian life is bringing you. (laughs) Bringing you all this opposition and pressure. And we know that from the parable of the soils, people who experience opposition and pressure and persecution who don't have this expectation will walk away. They'll use this as an example. And you know, it's very interesting that in all the discussions of deconstruction in America where professing Christians deconstruct, one of the things that always marks, at least from what I can tell, usually marks a person's walking away from faith, walking away from Jesus, is trials. Because they they really didn't have a good grasp that this is part of the Christian life. It's actually the means by which you are saved. It's through tribulation. And in particular, we're talking about persecution here. But you have to have an expectation that one day your own parents might hate you. Your own children might betray you and hate you. And And if their country gets worse, they might hand you over to the authorities. These things happen all over the world now. They may happen here. You have to understand that. We have to understand that. You might lose your job one day because you refuse to do some, you know, some thing that they require of you with diversity training or something. You know, maybe it goes too far and you just can't, with good conscience, keep on. You just have to understand that that's that's what you signed up for as a Christian. Peter wants these slaves to understand that. He wants us to understand that. Jesus wants us to understand that. Please understand Jesus is calling you to the road of the cross. So, realistic expectations of the world's treatment of them. Do not think you're going to be embraced by the world. You will be hated. And that's not because you're not a likable person, like I said. It's just because they don't have the truth. And um, Jesus is here protecting his disciples from too personalizing their suffering or or, or having a wrong understanding. Again, health, wealth, and prosperity teachers, they set their, they set their people up for apostasy left and right. That's all they do. They set you up for a life where it'll be smooth sailing if you have a certain amount of faith or you give a certain amount of money and they're setting their people up for apostasy. That's really, it's really sad, but that's exactly what's happening. If you hide the fact that Christians are to take up a cross like their Savior, you're going to lead them into dissolution. And, uh, and it happens all the time. But we must realize our life is on display Before angels, before God, before the Gentiles, we must realize that before this watching world, we are to live a certain way in times of suffering. As those who mistreat us, and they watch our non-retaliatory, kind, willing behavior, they will be moved to ask, how? These slaves that were submissive to their masters, their non-retaliatory, kind, submissive behavior to them, should compel these masters to ask, why? How? How do, you keep, how do you get up and make breakfast for me? I just hit you yesterday when I was in a drunken rage. How, how do you do that? I mean, I, I even hear sometimes you humming when no one's around. You're humming these songs. Or I, I see you get up real early and I hear you mumbling prayers. I mean, how do you do that? You're a slave. You know, that you can, you can think, that's what's, that's what's happening here. Peter wants to, it's, it's, because remember, he's saying, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that they glorify God. They're going to slander you and think evil of you, but one day, one day, they might look at your kind behavior, their, your behavior of meekness, and they might be moved to think, this guy's living for a different world. He doesn't put his hopes in what I put my hopes in. And they might glorify God. Their slanderous mindset toward you might change. 
This is, this is what Peter is holding out. He wants to hold out the way forward, maintaining good testimony and the most effective way to bring people to Christ. When Christians suffer well, in faith, hope, and love, it is very loud to people. So don't forget Tertullian. We're talking about Tertullian back here. I brought him up before here. Tertullian, one of the great church fathers, certainly not without flaws, but the way he became a Christian was by watching slave girls martyred for their faith, not recanting, calling on the Lord while they were perishing. And he saw this, and he saw that in them they have a hope and a faith in something that's far beyond this world. And it moved Tertullian to ask, why? And Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that men see your good works. They see them. They observe them. They say, he's just not living like everybody else. He's not all riled up about every, like everybody else. So this is what Peter's doing sense in which this brings a calm to you when you're suffering unjustly. So you've been called to suffer. So it's, it's, uh, it's just part of the, the road that God calls you to. But deeper than that is even a further grounding. Is you're not just called to suffer, right? It's not just, hey believers, you're going to suffer because that's what you're called to. no. It's because you're going to suffer because your life is to be lived in the footsteps of one who has already blazed that trail of suffering while being in submission to wicked rulers, horrendous treatment at the hands of evil men, so on and so forth. And that's what he says, doesn't he? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, Jesus Christ, in his suffering is an example for you of how to live in this world under unjust, in an unjust world, in an unjust government, whatever. Unjust rulers, unjust masters. He leaves you an example. So Jesus is clear here. Peter understands Jesus' life is one of suffering. Right? Who can forget the uh, designation Isaiah places on him? He was a man of what? Sorrows. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. You don't see a lot of joking in the New Testament, do you? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. But you don't see it. I wonder why that's left out. Jesus is a man of sorrows. If you were to ask Jesus, Hey Jesus, how you doing today? There probably was a, maybe not every time, but oftentimes there's probably, there's probably a certain heaviness that was there. A certain heaviness brought about by being so acquainted with what's right and glorious, considering the fact that he was with his father in glory before the world was, seeing how things could be, how things ought to be, and yet living in the midst of all that is perverted and wicked and crooked and deceitful and dark, Men loving darkness rather than the light. 
And the reality is more, the more light one sees, the more darkness one sees, feels. And this is why you know, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. It's a blessed state to be in because it assumes you've seen what's true, what's good, with the eyes of your heart. And you see at the same time how wrong everything is, how wicked everything is, and you mourn because of that, in yourself and in the world. And it's a blessed state to be in because it means you see as he sees. He was a man of sorrows. We're going to be men and women of sorrows in a lot of ways. We're going to be acquainted with grief. I don't recommend to turn on the news very much, but all you have to do is turn it on for a few minutes. And everyone knows it's bad, but I think most people don't know it's bad because they don't know the fundamental problem. They don't know the fundamental um, concept of what it, what it could be, what it ought to be, and we do. But Jesus' life was a life of suffering. What kind of suffering and sorrow did Jesus experience? Well, the term itself for suffer is the term pasco. It's an interesting word. The idea is, is uh, it's a very emotional word, actually. It's the feeling you get when undergoing some evils. You suffer. It's the feeling you get when undergoing evils. It's where we get the term passion. And it, it's the reason why we call it Passion Week, because it was the time of Jesus' intense suffering, the time when he felt intensely the flogging, the whipping, the torn beard, all these things. This is the cross, the separation of God, all these things. This is his time of suffering. It's his time of feeling. It's a time of feeling intense evil in his soul. That's this term. It's interesting the Bible doesn't talk about us being stoics. has every expectation that we're going to feel pain. Matter of fact, back up in verse 19, Peter says you're going to bear up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. This finds favor with God. Bear up under sorrows. It does, he, does, he, he doesn't expect you to put on a fake smile. He does, he does expect there to be real sorrow. He does expect tears. And he knows that. But, but he also knows that that's not... It doesn't have to drift into despair. Because God... You find favor with him when you bear up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. But the reality is he doesn't expect stoicism. But it's a very emotional term. And Jesus suffered all kinds of evil. He was assailed by Satan from the very beginning of his ministry. Assailed by him. And Satan came and exploited his time of weakness. He came with all manner of temptations while Jesus was in the wilderness. Jesus was faced with the unbelief, the ignorance, even the rebuke and betrayal of his closest friends. Have you ever dealt with that? It's a wonderful thing about Jesus. Jesus rebuked by Peter, and yet here's Peter writing this book. I mean, it says something about friendship to some degree. But he dealt with that betrayal. He dealt with that denial. He dealt with that rebuke. 
He also dealt with physical exhaustion of ministry and the constant demand for help, even among those who only wanted him for his wonder-working power, not because of his own person and glory. He dealt with the envy and the hatred of religious leaders who wanted him dead. Again, I don't know if you've ever been targeted before. Someone call you, threatening you, they're going to kill you. And living with that pressure every day is not easy. But he lived with it. His own family thought he had lost his mind. He dealt with slander. People saying he cast out demons by Beelzebul. Hardly anybody really knew who he was, except for the demons. It's not very encouraging. But that's the truth. And of course, he was arrested by Roman thugs, justly, unjustly tried, beaten, clothes torn from him, naked, spit upon, torn beard, whipped brutally, crown of thorns, made to carry his own cross up to a hill that would be his place of execution. He wasn't just tied on the cross, he was nailed to the cross. Big spikes. Blood was everywhere. A really shameful picture. He endured the pain of asphyxiation hanging there. Worst of all, he received the eternal wages of sin in his own body, experiencing the crushing of the unmixed wine of the wrath of God. You know, up to this point in history, all those pictures of wrath that you see were all shadows. You know, the flood, awful, is a shadow. Sodom and Gomorrah, shadow. The cross, full measure. Undiluted. It all came down on Jesus. He suffered so much. What Peter wants us to know is that he didn't deserve any of it. In one sense, it was all unjust. In one sense, it was all unjust. If anyone didn't deserve it, it was Jesus. If anyone didn't deserve it, it was Jesus. He was innocent through and through. Everybody knew he was innocent. And he really does want these slaves to understand that. They're in good company. It wasn't due to his own sin. It was for us. It was for the bigger picture. It was for the salvation of all of his people for all time. You know, at one level you grieve for Jesus being treated like he was. And yet, we wouldn't change a thing. We dare not change a thing. We want to change. Or we can't, yeah, we can't change any of it. His pain means our salvation. What amazing love. Grace. What a man he was and is. And Peter wants these believers to know that all of your mistreatment in this life for Christ and for his righteousness is also a temporary experience that is very Christ-like. Temporary assignment, as it were, to bear witness to the bigger picture of God in heaven 
Glorious Lord Jesus, who is Savior of sinners and a certain hope of eternal glory with the triune God forever. But Jesus' life was a life of suffering, and this suffering is an example. There are two reasons that, that Peter here holds out for Jesus' suffering. First, he says, he suffered for you. As I just detailed out, Jesus bore punishment for sins, not his own. None of his pain was his fault. He didn't deserve any of it. And yet he didn't run from it. He prayed, could it pass, but he also subjected himself to the will of God. He didn't run from it. He chose, by God's grace, to suffer. He didn't take up a rebellious or vindictive spirit. If anything, he showed us what loving our enemies was in the most perfect way. So he, and he, so he does this for us. He, he does this because we need salvation from sin. And he does this for us. But he also does this for us to leave us an example. And this is maybe where we'll spend the rest of the time. To leave you an example for you to follow in his steps. I want you to understand that everything I just detailed about Jesus facing Satan and temptation and dealing with the unbelief and the ignorance of his friends and the rebuke of his friends and the physical exhaustion of ministry and um, all of those things, the mistreatment by the Romans, the, the, the targeting by the religious leaders, wh- whatever it was, all of these things, the physical torture, the pain, certainly not bearing the wrath of God, but all these other things are an example for you. They are an example for you. And not just that you'll go through them, but how to go through them. So it's very important. So it's an example of not only that you'll suffer, but how you're supposed to suffer. The example of Jesus is not just that you'll suffer, but how to suffer. Very, very, very important. Now, the term here, example, is a grammatical term, actually. It's a term of grammar. It means something like to trace out. So think of the times when you're a kid and you've got you know, a picture of a dinosaur, maybe from, you took from a coloring book, and you get a, a lighter piece of paper. What do you call that paper? Tracing paper, is that what it's called? You put it over the top, whatever it's called. You put it over the top and you trace the outline of the dinosaur and you take it back. I know, and that's, you can pretty much see a good rendering of that original picture. That's this word. That's this idea of copy. To copy or to trace. So it's not example like, hey, Jesus' life is one example of how you could live or something like that. It's the idea that Jesus' Jesus's life of suffering and meekness in suffering is the original pattern and you are to trace that in your own life. That's the idea. He is the copy. He is the template. He is the pattern. And we follow that pattern. And we trace every line And that is our life. So your life should look like Jesus' life by the time it's all said and done in some way, shape, or form in terms of living for the gospel and being treated accordingly by the world. That's what he says. So if you think that Jesus, because Jesus suffered for your sins, that this eliminates suffering for you, you have a false Christianity. One of the main purposes in the sufferings of Christ is to blaze a trail for you. His life is a life of footsteps into which we all as his disciples are to step. What does he say after all when he calls people to him? What's he say? Follow me. Follow me. What does that mean? 
doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, in first century it meant, you know, some level at which, I mean, walk with him. But more than that, it means follow my example. Live like me. That's what it means. Now sometimes we have some woods behind our, behind our house and sometimes the kids and I will walk through the woods behind our house and sort of everyone expects dad to walk on ahead, right, so that I can pick the path of the least thorns or take the thorns myself, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, remove obstructions from the path, those kinds of things. So I'm sort of there as the trailblazer making sure it's as safe as possible. And that's a good thing. That's what dad should do. But Jesus is different. He certainly does go ahead of us. He certainly does blaze a trail. But he blazes a trail that's full of thorns. Doesn't he? He blazes a trail that has snakes on it. Poisonous spiders. Rocky edges. And his trail actually goes right into the lion's den. Follow me. That's what he says. Following his steps. Well, your steps are dangerous, Jesus. Yeah, follow me. We may at first be put off and offended by this. This life of suffering. But what this tells us is that Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't. Jesus has been surrounded by wolves. He's been surrounded by lions. He's, been, he's faced the serpent. And now he tells you to follow him. He's not telling you to suffer from some armchair. Now he's a real leader. He's been through the war himself and now he's in glory. Peter wants us to know that the life of Jesus is our lives. He, his was the example for us to follow. And I think it's tempting to see Jesus suffering when, when you see him suffering unjustly at the hands of wicked men and you think, and maybe I mentioned this last time, but, but it's tempting to think, well, well yes, this is awful, that he, that all that he went through, but, but, he, but he had to, right? I mean, it had to happen for our salvation. Sure, he had to submit to authorities. I mean, his time had come. Of course he had to, right? He had to be led to slaughter for our redemption. And yet Peter doesn't, he doesn't really say that. He, he says, that, yeah, yes, all that had to happen, but it was for you, because that's your life. He leaves you an example, a copy. He says, if you want to know how to live a life of devotion to the gospel and how to behave in submission to wicked rulers, look at Jesus. Do it like Jesus. He's the copy. That's how you do it. So here's a question popped in my mind, you know, when I'm reading this. Gosh, I don't feel like I suffer for Christ hardly at all. Is there something I'm doing wrong? Is suffering part of the Christian life? I mean, is, am I doing something wrong? Well, if you're like me, one of the reasons could be because you have a really bad memory. <laughs> maybe, you did, maybe you did last year and you just forgot. That's very possible with me. I have a horrible memory. 
But it's also important to realize that suffering in the Bible is not limited to just physical beatings and floggings. I mean, that's not, that's not, it's not the only way you suffer for Christ. It's one way. But it's not, it's not even maybe the most pervasive way always. It can be spiritual warfare. Right? What does Paul call Satan's attacks in Ephesians 6? Flaming arrows. Flaming arrows sounds dangerous. Those flaming arrows come at you in the form of doubts, in the, in the forms of ideological arguments, perhaps, in the form of, I don't know, harsh words that are said to you by a loved one. It could come in many different ways. You know, Jesus, uh, one, one of the things you learn in the scriptures about the way Satan operates is that he works through relationships, he works through people. Um, he got to Adam through Eve. Um, didn't first attack Adam in his mind. He started, he went through the woman. But flaming arrows. Flaming arrows. Spiritual warfare. I've gone through times in my own life through spiritual warfare that were honestly pretty weird. <laughs> Just struggles in your own mind and heart. I remember one time in particular and David Rungi was here, he could talk to you about it, where I was just so torn up inside about just various things and my assurance, I was struggling, and I didn't, I, there was no sin in my life that I knew of or anything like that. It was just a time of darkness the Lord was taking me through, and it was a time where I totally felt cut off from the Lord. And it was from the Lord, actually, because I, had, I want to know what it is to need Him. And I think at times He shows us what it's like to not have him. And then that reminds us of how we need him and how good it is to have him. And I was going through these times of sifting in my own soul. It was a weird time. I'm sure Steve actually remembers it. I had to go to his house that night and we stayed up all night long just thinking through scripture and him relaying to me all of the times where he's suffered warfare. Warfare is real. Um, It's a a real thing. It's a mind-bending thing. It can be. But it can all, suffering can also be slanderous speech about you. You know, it can, be, it can be slander. Peter actually mentions slander in his letter. It can be insults. It can be ostracism by neighbors because they know who you are. You know, we had some neighbors that at one time when we moved in our neighborhood, they really loved us and they loved our kids. They'd, we'd see them all the time. And, and um, there could be other reasons why we don't see them anymore, but they know we're Christians now. We've had discussions with them, and we don't see them ever anymore. There could be a little bit of that ostracism that comes from people you know because they know now that you're Christians. You can become isolated. It could be losing your job, pressure at work. It could just be living under the cultural pressure of the bad opinions of our society of the fundamentalist Christians. Right? It could just be living under that pressure as it becomes more and more pervasive that Christians are going to be called bigots and narrow and so, so on and so forth. I mean, most of the Christians in the first century were killed not because we're going to kill them because they love Jesus so much. No, that, that's not how, exactly how it was spun, right? No, they're, they're you know, they're, uh, they're adulterous, they're incestuous, right? They're atheistic. This is the things they said. They, 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 they miscolored their character and miscolored who they were to justify killing them. And this will happen. We'll be called bigots and, and racists and homophobes and all other kinds of things. We will. We will. And just living under that pressure can be a, a certain type of suffering. Um, 
It could be being mistreated by other Christians. Um, When you want to do a good work and you're not thanked for performing certain things that to you were sacrificial for their good and for the people's good. You know, you, you, you do these things and no one gives you thank and you feel t- taken advantage of. That's, that's not fun. That's a certain amount of suffering. Especially for women, they can really struggle with that. It can be a real, a real, um, uh, it can be a really hard thing to manage emotionally. Um, it's easy to start to draw conclusions about people's opinions of you when you're not treated like you think you ought to be, right? That can happen in the body of Christ. That's why in the end, when you serve, you serve the Lord. You don't serve to be thanked here. I hope we have a culture of thanking each other. I hope we have a culture of encouraging one another. I hope we have a culture that really watches for those opportunities to encourage real things that people do for Christ. But ultimately, if you're going to serve, it can't be for that. Um, Because you might not get it even though you probably should, but you might not. And that can be really hard. But it certainly can be physical in nature too. It could be imprisonment. It could be beatings. It could be torture. It could be murder. It could be separation from your family, pulling you away from your family. It can happen. It might happen. It might, it might. But also keep in mind that if you don't know anything of suffering and service to Jesus, or the gospel, or righteousness, it is probably because you're not living godly in this world. If you don't know anything of what I'm talking about, it, it probably does mean you're not living godly lives. Godliness brings persecution, isn't that what Paul says? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be what? Persecuted. Jesus said such haunting words to his own brothers in the flesh in John 7. The world cannot hate you, he says to his own kin, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. This was not a compliment. It was not a compliment for Jesus to say, you can't be hated by the world. That is not a compliment. That is one of the scariest things that can come out of the mouths of Jesus apart from the worst, which is depart from me, to hear him say, the world can't hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil, you should immediately reflect, what's that say about me? Living like Christ means testifying to evil deeds. Is that what you do? Do you testify to the world of its evil? Are you so convicted by God's truth, so convinced that it's the truth that sets people free, so moved by the urgency of the gospel and the souls of men that are perishing, that you testify to, to the truth no matter their opinion of you? If you don't, it's no wonder everyone likes you. You know, Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. That's the, that's the worst place to be when you've got nothing but only friends always. That's bad bad. Woe to you. Judgment's going to come upon you. You're receiving your reward in full. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you will weep.
And I'm not saying you need to go start being more combative in your life. (laughs) But what I am saying is that discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Be renewed in truth and righteousness and the glory of Jesus. And when that happens, you'll be like Paul. Right? Walking around in Athens, waiting on Timothy, and he just can't stand it. And he's provoked. And he's got to say something. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about go be combative. Go be divisive. That's not what I mean. What I mean is be so, be so renewed. Be so convinced of the gospel. Be so, be so renewed in, in the glory of what's true and beautiful and right and lovely in God's eyes from his word that when you turn on Netflix, you can't watch it long because it's just so wicked. Not all of it. But you know what I mean. Getting back to a sensitivity to darkness that you can't help but speak out. When things happen, you just, you can't. Provoked in your spirit, it says about Paul. He was provoked. And he had to say, you guys are a bunch of idolaters. You worship worship a God you don't know. So is that what Jesus would say to you? The world can't hate you. Do you have a conviction? Are you, do you, are you concerned for the souls of men so much so that when you see them in darkness you want to rescue them from that plight? That's, that's what it is. It's not about being mean. It's not about starting fights. You just have that sense with Jesus. Jesus is wanting to set people free. He's wanting to tell them, listen, he who sins is a slave of sin. You're a slave. Don't be a slave. Come to me. Right? But he still tells them they're a slave to sin. They've got to know that, guys. You'll get hated because of that. Sometimes, though, you might be loved. Because they'll, people will hear, oh, well, that's, 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 that's why I'm miserable. So anyway, there's a lot more I could say about that. But, but just understand just what Peter is getting at. Peter is wanting us to, again, have a bigger picture. You're suffering in this life for the cause of Christ is fundamentally about testifying to him, testifying to this world about how wonderful he is. And that'll bring you harsh treatment. But the beautiful thing is, and we want to end with it all the time, is that Jesus always told us he'd be with us. And that's, that's something you always want to remember. He will be with you. you, you these, these slaves, they need to know that, don't they? That Jesus Christ is with them. He personally is with them by his spirit. And through all their pain. You know, we get that picture of the, the men in the fiery furnace, you know. And, and you have the picture of the fourth man. And, and we have that forever. Because he's with us. He's with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would teach us how to live. Lord, certainly you don't tell us to go seek out pain. You you do tell us to long for the spiritual milk of the word, that by it we might grow in respect to salvation and grow in in our sense of the joy of our salvation, joy inexpressible and full of glory. And yet, Lord, we know that as we take on this mind, take on these affections, Lord, we're gonna we're gonna cross paths with a world that 
is just so self-absorbed. A world where there is no fear of God before their eyes. A world where only venom is under their lips. Um, a world that, that seeks swiftly to shed blood. Lord, this is, this is the world that we're going to encounter. And Lord, we pray you'd give us a heart for these people. They don't know what they're doing, ultimately. They're culpable, Lord, but... Lord, we just pray you'd give us your heart for sinners. Um, Lord, we wouldn't see these people just as our enemies in some way where we would become vindictive. Lord, we'd see these people as in chains. We would pity them and hold out the best news in all the world and for all eternity to them. Lord, please, please help us to do this. And Lord, I just admit, and I'm sure with my brothers and sisters in here, um, we do grow weary. We do get rusty. Our edge does get dull. And Lord, we just pray that, again, you'd be merciful to us and shepherd us along. And, and, and we thank you for your patience with us continually um, as we make blunders, as we seek more comfort in this world than we need to or than we should. Um, Lord, teach us all that. You want us to enjoy all good things, but yet, Lord, you don't want us to love these things more than you. And so, Lord, teach us about all that. And we thank you that you will reveal those attitudes in us that are displeasing to you. Just praise you for that. And, and Lord Jesus, we do thank you for being the one most innocent who most suffered than anyone ever will, even in hell. And we just praise you for being willing to go there for our sakes. And um, certainly, Lord, we'll never repay that. But we want to live in light of that always as your faithful disciples. And Lord, for people in here this morning who don't know you, who are offended by your teaching about suffering, that they would realize that really, ultimately, um, there's no amount of sacrifice we can make that compares to what we've been given. And they would realize that, that you are the treasure hidden in a field that is worth selling everything we have to just buy that field that it's completely appropriate and reasonable and actually just completely foolish to bypass that treasure, Lord, that they would realize that, that, Lord Jesus, you are that treasure. And, um, and even renew us afresh in here who already know that. And we thank you for this word and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.